Guy Mannering or the Astrologer by Sir Walter Scott. Volume 2, Chapter 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume 2, Chapter 24. To hail the king in seemly sort, the lady was full fain. But King Arthur, all sore amazed, no answer made again. What white art thou, the lady said, that will not speak to me? Sir, I may chance to ease thy pain, though I be foul to see. The Marriage of Sir Gawain The fairy bride of Sir Gawain, while under the influence of the spell of her wicked stepmother, was more decrepit, probably, and what is commonly called ugly, than Meg Merrilies. But I doubt if she possessed that wild sublimity which an excited imagination communicated to features marked and expressive in their own peculiar character, and to the gestures of a form which, her sex considered, might be termed gigantic. Accordingly, the knights of the round table did not recoil with more terror from the apparition of the loathly lady, placed between an oak and a green holly, than Lucy Bertram and Julia Mannering did from the appearance of the Galwegian Sibyl upon the common of Ellangowan. For God's sake, said Julia, pulling out her purse, give that dreadful woman something and bid her go away. I cannot, said Bertram, I must not offend her. What keeps you here? said Meg, exalting the harsh and rough tones of her hollow voice. Why do you not follow? Must your hour call you twice? Do you remember your oath? Were it at kirk or market, wedding or burial? And she held high her skinny forefinger in a menacing attitude. Bertram turned round to his terrified companions. Excuse me for a moment, I am engaged by a promise to follow this woman. Good heavens, engaged to a madwoman, said Julia. Or to a gypsy who has a band in the wood ready to murder you, said Lucy. That was not spoken like a baron of Ellangowan, said Meg, frowning upon Miss Bertram. It's the ill-doers are ill-dreaders. In short, I must go, said Bertram. It's absolutely necessary. Wait for me five minutes upon this spot. Five minutes, said the gypsy. Five hours may not bring you here again. Do you hear that, said Julia? For heaven's sake, do not go. I must, I must. Mr. Dinmont will protect you back to the house. No, said Meg. He must come with you. It's for that he is here. He mourn take part we hand and heart. And will his part it is, for reading his quarrel might have cost you dear. Truth, Lucky, it's very true, said the steady farmer. And ere I turn back for the captain's side, I'll show that I hadn't forgotten it. Oh, yes, exclaimed both the ladies at once. Let Mr. Dinmont go with you, if go you must, on this strange summons. Indeed I must, answered Bertram. But you see I'm safely guarded. Adieu for a short time. Go home as fast as you can. He pressed his sister's hand, and took a yet more affectionate farewell of Julia with his eyes. Almost stupefied with surprise and fear, the young ladies watched with anxious looks the course of Bertram, his companion, and their extraordinary guide. Her tall figure moved across the wintry heath with steps so swift, so long, and so steady, that she appeared rather to glide than to walk. Bertram and Dinmont, both tall men, apparently scarce equalled her in height, owing to her longer dress and high headgear. She proceeded straight across the common, without turning aside to the winding path by which passengers avoided the inequalities and little rills that traversed it in different directions. Thus the diminishing figures often disappeared from the eye as they dived into such broken ground, and again ascended to sight when they were past the hollow. 
there was something frightful and unearthly as it were in the rapid and undeviating course which she pursued undeterred by any of the impediments which usually incline a traveller from the direct path her way was as straight and nearly as swift as that of a bird through the air at length they reached those thickets of natural wood which extended from the skirts of the common towards the glades and brooks of Dernclue, and there they were lost to the view this is very extraordinary said lucy after a pause and turning round to her companion what can he have to do with that old hag it is very frightful answered julia and almost reminds me of the tales of sorceresses witches and evil genie which i have heard in india they believe there in a fascination of the eye by which those who possess it control the will and dictate the motions of their victims what can your brother have in common with that fearful woman that he should leave us obviously against his will to attend to her commands at least said lucy we may hold him safe from harm for she would never have summoned that faithful creature dinmont of whose strength courage and steadiness henry said so much to attend upon an expedition where she projected evil to the person of his friend and now let us go back to the house till the colonel returns perhaps bertram may be back first at any rate the colonel will judge what is to be done leaning then upon each other's arm but yet occasionally stumbling between fear and the disorder of their nerves they at length reached the head of the avenue when they heard the tread of a horse behind they started for their ears were awake to every sound and beheld to their great pleasure young hazelwood the colonel will be here immediately he said i galloped on before to pay my respects to miss bertram with the sincerest congratulations upon the joyful event which has taken place in her family i long to be introduced to captain bertram and to thank him for the well-deserved lesson he gave to my rashness and indiscretion he has left us just now said lucy and in a manner that has frightened us very much just at that moment the colonel's carriage drove up and on observing the ladies stopped while mannering and his learned counsel alighted and joined them they instantly communicated the new cause of alarm meg merrily's again said the colonel she certainly is a most mysterious and unaccountable personage but i think she must have something to impart to bertram to which she does not mean we should be privy the devil take the bedlamite old woman said the counsellor will she not let things take their course prudelige but must always be putting in her oar in her own way then i fear from the direction they took they are going upon the ellangowan estate that rascal glosson has shown us what ruffians he has at his disposal i wish honest liddersdale may be guard sufficient if you please said hazelwood i should be most happy to ride in that direction which they have taken i am so well known in the country that i scarce think any outrage will be offered in my presence and i shall keep at such a cautious distance as not to appear to watch meg or interrupt any communication which she may make pon my word said playdell aside to be a sprig who whom i remember with a wave face and a satchel not so very many years ago i think young hazelwood grows a fine fellow i am more afraid of a new attempt at legal oppression than an open violence and from that this young man's presence would deter both glossin and his understrappers hie away then my boy peer out peer out you'll find them somewhere about dernclue or very probably in warch wood hazelwood turned his horse come back to us to dinner hazelwood cried the colonel he bowed spurred his horse and galloped off we now returned to bertram and dinmont who continued to follow their mysterious guide through the woods and dingles between the open common and the ruined hamlet of dernclue as she led the way she never looked back upon her followers unless to chide them for loitering 
though the sweat, in spite of the season, poured from their brows. At other times she spoke to herself in such broken expressions as these. It is to rebuild the old house, it is to lay the cornerstone, and did I not warn him? I told him I was born to do it, if my father's heed had been the stepping-stain, let alone his. I was doomed, still I kept my purpose in the cage and in the stocks, I was, I was banished, I kept it in an uncle land, I was scourged, I was branded, my resolution lay deeper than scourge or red iron could reach, and now the hour is come. Captain, said Dinmont in half-whisper, I wish she'd been an uncanny. Her words dinner seem to come in God's name, or like other folks. Odd, they threep in our country that there are such things. Don't be afraid, my friend, whispered Bertram in return. Feared, faint a heart care I, said the dauntless farmer. Be she witch or devil, it's all ain to Dandy Dinmont. Hold your peace, good man, said Meg, looking sternly over her shoulder. Is this a time or place for you to speak, think ye? But my good friend, said Bertram, as I have no doubt in your good faith or kindness, which I have experienced, you should in return have some confidence in me. I wish to know where you are leading us. There's but I answer to that, Henry Bertram, said the Sibyl. I swore my tongue should never tell, but I never said my finger should never show. Go on and meet your fortune, or turn back and lose it. That's all I had to say. Go on, then, answered Bertram. I will ask no more questions. They descended into the glen about the same place where Meg had formerly parted from Bertram. She paused an instant beneath the tall rock, where he had witnessed the burial of a dead body and stamped upon the ground, which, notwithstanding all the care that had been taken, shown vestiges of having been recently moved. "'Here rests in,' she said. "'He'll maybe her neighbours soon.' She then moved up to the brook until she came to the ruined hamlet where, pausing with a look of peculiar and softened interest before one of the gables which was still standing, she said in a tone less abrupt, though as solemn as before, "'Do you see that blacket and broken end of a shilling? There are my kettle boiled for forty years. There I bore twelve birdly sons and daughters. Where are they now? Where are the leaves that were on that old ash-tree at Martinmas? The west wind has made it bare, and I'm stripped too.' Do you see the sore tree? It's but a blackened, rotten stump now. I've sat under it many a bonny summer afternoon when it hung its gay garlands o'er the poppling water. I've sat there and, elevating her voice, I've held you on my knee, Henry Bertram, and sang ye sangs of the old barons and their bloody wars. It will ne'er be green again, and MacMerrilies will never sing sangs mer. Be they blithe or sad, but you'll no forget her, and you'll gar big up the old ways for her sake, and let somebody live there that's o'er good to fear them of another world. For if ever the dead came back among the living, I'll be seen in this glen many a night after these crazed banes are in the mould. The mixture of insanity and wild pathos with which she spoke these last words, with her right arm bare and extended, her left bent and shrouded beneath the dark red drapery of her mantle, might have been a study worthy of our Siddons herself. And now, she said, resuming at once the short, stern and hasty tone, which was most ordinary to her, let us to the work, let us to the work. She then led the way to the promontory on which the came of Dernclue was situated, produced a large key from her pocket and unlocked the door. The interior of this place was in better order than formerly. I've made things decent, she said. I may be stricken here all night, 
there will be few few at meg's likewake for money of our folk will blame what i had done and i am to do she then pointed to a table upon which some cold meat arranged with more attention to neatness than could have been expected from meg's habits eat she said eat you'll need it this night yet bertram in complacence ate a morsel or two and dinmont whose appetite was unabated either by wonder apprehension or the meal of the morning made his usual figure as a trencherman she then offered each a single glass of spirits which bertram drank diluted and his companion plain will you taste naething yourself lucky said dinmont i shall not need it replied the mysterious hostess and now she said ye mourn high arms ye mourn a gang on dry-handed but use them not rashly take captive but save life let the law hae its ain ye mourn speak ere he die who is to be taken who is to speak said bertram in astonishment receiving a pair of pistols which she offered him and which upon examining he found loaded and locked the flints are good she said and the powder dry i ken this work weel then without answering his questions she armed dinmont also with a large pistol and desired them to choose sticks for themselves out of a parcel of very suspicious-looking bludgeons which she brought from a corner bertram took a stout sapling and dandy selected a club which might have served hercules himself they then left the hut together and in doing so bertram took an opportunity to whisper to dinmont there's something inexplicable in all this but we need not use these arms unless we see necessity and lawful occasion take care to do as you see me do dinmont gave a sagacious nod and they continued to follow over wet and over dry through bog and through fallow the footsteps of their conductress she guided them to the wood of warwick by the same track which the late ellangowan had used when riding to durnclue in quest of his child on the miserable evening of the kennedy's murder when meg merrilies had attained these groves through which the wintry sea-wind was now whistling hoarse and shrill she seemed to pause a moment as if to recollect the way we maun go the precise track she said and continued to go forward but rather in a zigzagging and involved course than according to a former steady and direct line of motion at length she guided them through the mazes of the wood to a little open glade of about quarter of an acre surrounded by trees and bushes which made a wild and irregular boundary even in winter it was a sheltered and snugly sequestered spot but when arrayed in the verdure of spring the earth sending forth all its wild flowers the shrubs spreading their waste of blossom around it and the weeping birches which towered over the underwood drooping their long and leafy fibres to intercept the sun it must have seemed a place for a youthful poet to study his earliest sonnet or a pair of lovers to exchange their first mutual avowal of affection apparently it now awakened very different recollections bertram's brow when he had looked round the spot became gloomy and embarrassed meg after uttering to herself this is the very spot looked at him with ghastly side glance do you mind it yes answered bertram imperfectly i do i pursued his guide on this very spot the man fell from his horse i was behind that bortley bush at the very moment sir sir he strove and sir he would cry for mercy but he was in the hands of them that never kenned the word now will i show you the further track the last time ye travelled it was in these arms she led them accordingly by a long and winding passage almost overgrown with brushwood until without any perceptible descent they suddenly found themselves by the seaside 
Meg then walked very fast on between the surf and the rocks, until she came to a remarkable fragment of rock detached from the rest. Here, she said in a low and scarcely audible whisper, here the corpse was found. And the cave, said Bertram in the same tone, is close beside it. Are you guiding us there? Yes, said the gypsy in a decided tone. Bend up both your hearts, follow me as I creep in. I have placed the firewood so as to screen you. Bide behind it for a glyph till I say the hour and the man are both came. Then rein in on him, take his arms, and bind him till the blood burst free his fingernails. I will, by my soul, said Henry, if he's the man I suppose. Janssen. Aye, Janssen, Hatterake, and twenty more names are his. Dinmont, you must stand by me now, said Bertram, for this fellow is a devil. You need not doubt that, said the stout yeoman but I wish I could mind a bit prayer, or I'd creep after the witch into that hole she's opening. I would be a sair thing to leave the blessed sun and the free air and gang and be killed like a toad that's run to earth in a dungeon like that. But, my sooth, they will be hard-bitten terriers will worry Dandy. So, as I said, deal hammy if I balk you. This was uttered in the lowest tone of voice possible. The entrance was now open. Meg crept in upon her hands and knees, Bertram followed, and Dinmont, after giving a rueful glance towards the daylight whose blessings he was abandoning, brought up the rear. End of Volume 2 Chapter 24